Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have Black Widow starring Scarlett Johansson, Florence Pugh, David Harbour, and Rachel Weisz. Story by Jack Schaefer and Ned Benson. Screenplay by Eric Pearson. There's all those uh, screenwriters, Matt. And directed by Kate Shortland. Welcome back to Rice Smile Films. It's time to wrap up this film review cast, spending some time with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which what we alluded to last week, probably the first, you know, like really big, what it feels like release of post-COVID of just uh, back into the theaters, theaters open. And this seems to be the one that like we've all kind of been building to. And it was the one that kind of like we were looking forward to last year too. The the start of the summer movie season last year was when this was supposed to come out. So we've been waiting a year and a month for this. <laughs> waiting a year and a month for a prequel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's something we, we know her fate uh, and we can discuss that here going forward. But I know we're going to have a lot to talk about with this film and the story and just everything in between. But uh, cheers to you. Cheers. Do you uh, tackle any new media this week? Do you pick up anything new? See anything new? Any new podcasts? Anything like that? Uh-uh. No. Two things for me, big ones. I just happened to walk in and catch the beginning of Kill Bill Volume 2. Oh, yeah. You told me that. Honestly, aged really well. I think that might be a little bit better than I had remembered. Mm. I was really happy with that film. And then uh, Mr. Joe Rogan had on a guy that was really instrumental into my early formative years growing up, Mr. Adam Curry, Mm. Wave 2 VJ along with Kennedy and Daisy Fuentes and all that. Uh, fantastic three hours the two of them did on Wednesday, which then took me to Curry's podcast. And I think we need to hmm. raise one to him. Do you know he's the, the podcast father, the pod father? Oh, wow. Oh, two. He's been doing it for longer than anybody then. <laughs> With like an RS feed and a real simple idea. Yeah. I uh, did some look into some of his stuff. Had a bit of a troubling split with MTV because he saw this whole internet thing coming before they did and mm-hmm. registered MTV.com. Mm-hmm which I'm sure paid handsomely on the back end mm-hmm. when they reclaimed it. But he has his own show that um, it's called No Agenda. And it's um, it's not pop culture light. It's contemporary issues. Sure. But uh, you can see where I think that guy's talent lies. And to be the big-haired, headbangers ball... Uh, MTV music countdown guy mm-hmm. in that time. It's a pretty interesting to juxtapose that with just how ridiculously smart he is. Nice. So I guess I'm plugging. Um, it's not for everybody. I'll be honest with you, but it's definitely for me. Uh, the Rogan and him thing where it was really, really good. I think that was Wednesday's episode, but his new agenda was um, they do one on, I think Thursdays and Sundays. Um, cool. I, I'm in. Cool. Yeah. Maybe I'll check it out. <laughs> you, know. you have enough to listen to. Yeah, exactly. I listen to quite a few podcasts. Yeah. Excellent. Well, let's get right into it. Let's get to our uh, flight question for Black Widow. Why don't you go ahead and hit us with the flight question this week? 
So inspired by F9 and I suppose Black Widow as well, I mm. wanted to do something around family. Okay. So with the obvious family excluded here, mm-hmm. <laughs> which yeah. would be in the title of their name, right? Mm-hmm. The Fantastic Four. I asked you to tell me what Marvel properties family you would like to see um, make its appearance on the screen. So this can be featured main character and support with brother, sister, lover, husband, wife, whatever it might be. Yeah. So what family has you intrigued on the silver screen in the Marvel U, Jesse? Yeah, I don't think, I don't know if this family would necessarily get their own film because you'd probably see these characters just show up sporadically in another series. But the more digging I did, I was like, oh, there's a lot of family drama here and there's a lot to kind of dig into. I'm naturally going to pick the Summers clan from the X-Men universe. Good one. Uh, so this would be Scott Summers, Cyclops, and then his wife, uh, Jean Grey, uh, Dark, Dark Phoenix, Phoenix. Yep. Uh, but Scott's father, you know, Christopher Summers has his own uh, spiel thing, and that's kind of all intertwined with the with the Phoenix saga. Mm-hmm. But then their children, you said I couldn't do Fantastic Four, but their daughter, Rachel Summers, ends up, you know, with Franklin Richards, uh, Reed and Sue's, Sue's child. But then... I didn't know this. Polaris, right? Uh, I mean, um, um, no, Havoc. Yeah, yeah. so Alex Summers, Havoc, that's his brother. Cable also, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I didn't know this part. I didn't know the Cable connection. So somewhere in the Jean Grain (laughs) deaths, he hooks up with Madeline Pryor, and uh, they make Cable. I didn't know that. And then Cable's this time lord (laughs) that that is able to go through time and do his kind of time time stuff but there's a lot of family drama there not only with dad's absence and the the reu- reunion there and the, the animated series actually does a really good job of that uh with the dad character but you can get into a lot of stuff there and you could find a way to tie into some of the familial ties that the fantastic four offer without doing that family so it gets weird with with the summers clan but you naturally you would need to introduce the x-men to fully introduce them i don't think you would start with just that family. <laughs> I loved the bit between Scott and Madeline mm-hmm. gets in the weeds pretty heavy there. Yeah. But this is a guy who's clearly struggling with the loss of Gene mm-hmm. and Madeline gives him a soft landing place. My he big, hooks up with Emma Frost later on too. My biggest familiarity with um, even like the summer's children, like Rachel and, and Franklin is actually days of future past the comic. I mean, there's just, everyone's just dying in that thing in the future. So yeah. Yeah, that's my choice for for this one. That's a really good one. Yeah, thank you. Nice job. Thank you. So where you went on the side of the positive, I guess I'm going to the other way, the side of the negative. Okay. (laughs) And this is a character that you and I have spoken a lot about, and he's great, but so is his family, and it has to do with the family name Kravenoff. Mm. So obviously Craven the Hunter's in there. His half-brother's the Chameleon. Um, Several wives and lovers, including Calypso, um, a woman named Sasha that he fathers um, at least one kid with for sure. Um, uh, what's his name? Aloysia's in there uh, who kind of assumes the mantle of Craven once Craven has passed. Mm. Uh, there's another older son in there from Sasha that is the Grim Hunter. Mm-hmm. So sort of still playing in the same space, but if Craven was a little bit more violent. That would be the Grim Hunter. Uh, I'd mentioned Calypso as his lover. Um, there's six or seven Spider-Verse ties 
in with Craven and what they create is essentially this very wild jungle family. Tarzan family. Yeah. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. That um, I'm surprised that Calypso didn't hook up with Kazar at some point. Oh, my gosh. Kazar, yeah. And his, <laughs> Spending you know, that. And his what? His, his panther? Exactly. Like, what, what does he have? <laughs> yeah. Like a jaguar? Yeah, he does. Yeah. So I'm going to go with the Kravenovs. Oh, nice. I wonder if you're actually going to get yours in that Craven movie that's in active development right now. You would certainly seem to get the chameleon. Mm -hmm. Now, that's only half-brother, but regardless. I actually didn't know that they were related. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Sure. Mm. I'm really interested in that aspect of Marvel going forward. The standalone villain thing? or Yeah, I mean, look, the Venom thing this summer is going to be a big movie for a lot of different reasons, right? At some point... They're going to have to reconcile differences and bring that together. Yeah, pull it together. Don't, yeah. right? I would think so. Um, in this era of Spider-Man, the symbiotes are as germane to any storytelling as the Goblin is. Mm-hmm. Now, they, mm-hmm. The fans love them, and let's you know, not be stupid here. There is a fanboy service element that Marvel certainly adheres to. Oh, yeah. They don't have rights to those. Yeah, it's, it's Avi Arad and his dealing back in the day is... That's the one deal that is still very much rooted in cement right now. Yeah. And I don't blame the principal company that holds rights, which would be Sony, to not giving that up because it's a cash cow. Why Why would you? No, you wouldn't. Yeah. Unless you can do what you did earlier where we'll let you borrow ours if you let us borrow yours and you get some Iron Man, Spider-Man crossovers. I don't know. We'll see. I think that, like, like just in appearances' sake, that 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 deal for Marvel is just good in on the screen. I don't think they get any cut of like Sony's Spider-Man films. Like, it's purely a Sony property. I'm really shocked that they're even in the box set, that big box set that I have of all those Infinity. Like, the Spider-Man films are in there, and I'm kind of surprised at that. That is odd. It's part of the larger story, but because Sony's a vice grip, yeah, it just it's weird to me. So. We'll see how it plays out. I don't know if we're going to get any resolution. It may just be kind of the same thing going forward. Yeah, we might have this. this, I think the Spider-Man film coming out this December might give us maybe some inklings on where that, what direction that might go. Agreed. Yeah, maybe we'll talk about that later in in the nightcap, uh, the future going forward. But So as much as you and I like stories about family, I'm grateful that uh, I'm not part of either one of the two surnames we mentioned. I don't think you want to be a part of any superhero family. (laughs) Pass on the Summers and pass on the Kravenovs. Yeah, hard passes. Hard passes. All righty, let's not beat around the bush anymore. Let's get right into it and our review breakdown of Black Widow. And here we are. (laughs) Uh, Let's just start here right at the beginning. I don't have very many audio clips. You know, this is a new release and, you know, just watched it yesterday, and you saw it a couple days on Thursday. Um, before we get into the movie itself, what were not? I don't want to say expectations, but what did you want out of a Black Widow origin story? Can I go first? Yes, of course. Um, I kind of thought, you know, you remember those flashbacks way back when in Age of Ultron, when we kind of like saw like the 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 ballerinas and then like the weird medicine and like this kind of training esque element of like what this widow program was like mm-hmm. I really thought that that's what this was going to be like an insight into <laughs> how it all happened <laughs> and we get a sliver of that I say in an opening credits montage mm-hmm. but uh, that's kind of what I was hoping if you're going to go so far prequel why don't you go like way back to like prequel prequel and tell that story like this one I think. Part of the 
I think the faults of it is it's it's like in a weird place. It's in between Infinity War and Civil War is like where the bulk of the story takes place. But what about you? Yeah, a bit of an odd time placement. But there's some break them out of jail stuff that I thought could have played. What I was worried about prior to this, I had two big concerns. Number one is that this wouldn't be Red Sparrow. Oh, yeah. Um, I forgot about that movie, yeah. And secondarily, that we wouldn't get whatever the hell the name of that Millennium Falcon run is that's the Parasec. What is that? Um, six Parasecs or... Oh, the 12 Parsec? Whatever that. He, what made, it, the par- he made the Kessel run in less than 12 Parsecs, yeah. That this adventure or <laughs> assassination in Budapest wouldn't be a throwaway moment in some dialogue that is then turned into a complete disaster of a story that nobody really wanted when Jabba was sitting right there versus are you really going to watch some little mission in Budapest or is this going to be how you met Hawkeye and go forward now? Well, I'll tell you uh, that's the, the, I kind of wanted a little bit of that in, in this, you know, just at least show that they, they, they talk about that. It's definitely a plot point. As long as Budapest was an actual event and not just a moment inside a larger story that no one cared about. Yeah. So the Parasec run, the Kessel run, Mm -hmm. it was literally a a line of dialogue. And I'm not going to defend the solo film because it's garbage. And we've talked about that Mm -hmm. a lot. Mm -hmm. But I didn't want this Budapest reference to turn into a throwaway moment in a film that nobody really wanted. Well, it kind of turns into a throwaway moment in this film, too. (laughs) Well, here's the thing, Jesse. Yeah. There's other, I think, two really big obstacles that we need to address. Or hopefully the film overcomes for us after we address it. Okay. <laughs> Number one, it's a prequel. Yeah. And we know she's dead. Mm-hmm. So that's a tough sell to begin with because you know there's a finality to this story. Sure. And I think I kind of already put that one to bed. I was like, I'm here just to just watch a story with her. We know what happens. Let's just see how they fill in the the, the pieces. That's a huge burden then removed from your shoulders, and maybe that helped. Mm-hmm. But the second one, you can't get around. Okay. There's yes. no way around yeah, what is it? She doesn't have any superpowers. Okay, yes, exactly. I don't necessarily need capes and flying and laser eyes and, you know, superpower Kravenoff or anything of the mm-hmm. Summers clan. Yeah. But if you're not going to empower her with some super like abilities, then you have to go hard on what you wanted. And we talked about it a lot. And this should be yeah. a more spire version of the winter soldier. Absolutely. Uh, and yeah. you did not get that. No, we did not get that at all. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. She doesn't have superpowers. And I don't think they need to give her any. No, I mean, she's, she's different enough from all those other characters where her avenue in is definitely, yeah, they could have done like a Jason Bourne, John le Carre, like esque spy film that is more espionage and less action. And just let the cat out of the bag just really quickly. And then we'll start at the beginning like we do. I hate how these films just at the end they just they, they turn into the same movie and the, the end is just like this floating sky city just blowing up around us as we're You mean Moonraker? Yeah, it was Moonraker, which I'll give a little nod to that she was watching that and if that was her intention to make Moonraker the most puzzling and perplexing of all Bond films, it's a bit of a misstep, but well, I want to get into that a little bit as we go into the story yeah. because I think this movie actually follows the Moonraker character beats. <laughs> it does. Isn't it does. Taskmaster Jaws? A little bit, yeah. Uh, just a, a henchman, kind of just like a at will go go take care of that business. But we'll we'll get to it. But I, I, I really thought that like what what was grounded here kind of maybe at the beginning was, you know, 
look into that espionage aspect of doing a spy film set in the Marvel Universe, and that was intriguing to me, and then it just turns into just absurdity at the end. But let's build up to that. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about this opening sequence. We're in Ohio in 1985, I believe. Yeah. I kind of like this opening sequence, Matt. I kind of like just seeing this family dynamic, and we don't know a lot of the why up front, and it's more just reactionary, but... They're just kind of, they're on the run. We find out it's from S.H.I.E.L.D. And I I was kind of just on the edge of my seat a little bit. And I was like, I don't know what's happening here. And then as everything kind of devolves and falls into into itself and they're kind of taken in by Ray Winstone and to go into the Widow program, I was kind of intrigued by this opening. I kind of liked the questions it was was offering. It was only until later that the film was going to kind of undo a lot lot of that because I thought for a moment in the beginning that this was, it felt kind of dark. It also was dark. It was hard to see some things at mm-hmm. times. Yeah, but I, I kind of thought at the beginning here, I was getting a little bit of that edge, and it, I was like, I was like, this does feel a little bit different than what we've seen from them before. So I'm on board here early on. Have you ever seen the Americans? Mm-hmm. Didn't it feel like the Americans in the early part of that? Yeah, and I like that series a lot. Mm-hmm. I really liked that series. Yeah. Um. So yes, I agree with you. This family that's hiding in plain sight in 19, what'd you say, 85? I think it was 85. 1985, Ohio. And we're sitting down to have meatloaf dinner. And we build up with the opening and establishing the relationship between the two sisters. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're playing backbend, follow me, Simon says something along those lines. Mm -hmm. Seems like a likable family. Yeah. David Harbour just looks like dad Mm -hmm. and all that's working. And like that, we got to go. We have about an hour. What I really liked about the opening too, was like the powder keg, that whole kind of, you know, because we know how things play out with this character, Mm -hmm. you're just waiting, you know, it's too almost, it's too serene for its own good at the beginning in a good way where you know something terribly is going to go wrong and you're just kind of waiting for it to happen. And I kind of like that it kind of happened. I, I couldn't, I didn't really know which way it was going to go here at the beginning. So I'm, I'm going with this. Let me give you something to think about for a minute. Yeah. Young Natasha yeah. in this film. Mm-hmm. What is the thing about young Natasha that stands out the most? Oh yeah, her hair, her blue hair. <laughs> Why does she have blue hair? I know it's not told us. <laughs> I it's thought a cho- about it. it's a choice. <laughs> it's a choice. I thought about it for a minute, and whoever they chose to play young Natasha looks oh. like a boy. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so check Marvel on the you know scale of whatever that's all about. But secondarily, I think Natasha's hair mm-hmm. has played an important role in the series. Yeah, it's been red, it's been blonde, it's been black. If you go to Iron Man two, it's amazing red, bl- like curls, gorgeous. Many different wigs, <laughs> indeed. Yeah, yeah. I thought. Certainly the blue was going to play out at some point yeah. to some significance. Uh-uh. It should, like, if you're going to do the tips, then it was just the tips. Shouldn't it have been red? Yeah. And especially because they're commies. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is petty, but it's not. It's not because if you chose to do blue and give everybody blue and she's not dressed in some version of red, white, her hair and blue, her hair, then it's just. Yeah, it's a stylistic choice that's distracting that with no payoff. Exactly. I'll tell you, it's not a deal breaker for no, me as, no, much, no, as much as not. some other things might be. But right. it is odd. It, was, it should be red. It's If you want to 
Natasha never had blue hair in any of these other films. So if you're trying to determine which one of these girls is Natasha, then give her red hair. <laughs> right. It's only we figure out she's Natasha. And I was really kind of confused in this opening scene, too. I was like, well, does Natasha... Is this new to her, this kind of running on the lamb thing, or is she familiar with the world? And it's not until they land on the tarmac there, David Harbour's hanging from the wing of the airplane as they're taking off. It was, it was exciting for like for moments, but we see Natasha's able to disarm this guy and like he's like, you're not taking us back there. And so the little girl has it, has no idea, but Natasha has some awareness of what's kind of going on here. Okay, mm-hmm. you brought it up. David Harbour on the wing. <laughs> this is going to be my general belief about the Red Guardian for the entire film. Mm-hmm. In this movie, yeah, that is the most interesting character by a lot. And what, after this scene, he's mostly reduced to is a comedic foil. Yeah. He's the Falstaff of this thing. (laughs) The super soldier serum that the Russian government has given him to be the rival Mm -hmm. to Captain America is barely showcased with the exception of a few moments in his earlier Mm -hmm. iteration as the Red Guardian, not been in prison Red Guardian. Okay, so... so, And hold on, let me finish that. Yeah. And we don't ever see his true power. I mean, I know he fights the taskmaster in like a 35 second fisticuff scene that has the significance of zero. You're you're right. He's a, he's a, that's the superhero in this group. Cause when we catch up with him in Ohio 85 here, he's post retired guardian, right? Was that your assumption or was he, is he doing it on the side here? I think, I, well, the mother, what's the mother's name? Uh, Rachel Weiss. What's her kid? What's, Selena? Yeah, I'll, I'll look it up here. Uh, maybe it's Selena. No, it's uh, Melina. Oh, Selena, Melina. You say tomato, I say Melina. <laughs> you say Shamila. <laughs> <laughs> you say Shamalama Ding Dong, yeah, yeah, I say yeah, there you make go. a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, to that. Coming soon. Yeah, old. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking beach. <laughs> That's what might happen when you and I go see the film. <laughs> We might leave oh, skeletons God. in the theater. <laughs> that was good. That was good. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah, so, so Melina. Melina. She's a Black Widow. Yeah. And he's a Red Guardian. And I assume he has some of the ability because he's able to hang on to a fucking wing of a plane as it takes off into the air. And did he ever get back in the plane or he just rode the wing to the... That's what I wanted to get to. Okay. That's what I was waiting for. Yeah. Give me the moment <laughs> where... She slides open the door or he kicks the door in or we see the family dynamic showcased in a way where they're using their abilities Mm -hmm. to keep the family unit intact. And instead we get, they fly away. And to that real quick, Mm -hmm. is there a more useless government agent in the Marvel universe than Thunderbolt Ross. Oh yeah, let's. My God, has he ever? And like Black Widow even clowns him later about it. But what a joke! Well, what I found interesting about the Thunderbolt. Well, I hate William Hurt first of all. Yeah, I, to I, that. I can't stand Oy. the actor himself, and it mostly deals to a radio interview I heard with him, and he was just like such a douche like on the thing he thought he was so full of himself pompous pompous and wouldn't even answer like this radio station's questions and he it's really turned me off to william hurt really yeah uh but i think it's because thunderbolt ross is a military general in the hulk hulkiverse 
And I like how they, I like that they've turned him into this kind of like a government, like super soldier or superhero enforcer. Because he's the one that's really coming in on them hard with these Sokovia Accords. Uh, I just think that's an interesting way to portray the character. Now, it doesn't factor into anything in this movie other than, like, he's always looking for her. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. no, yeah, you're right, you're right, yeah. What? How ineffective is General Thunderbolt Ross? Back to the story here. I, mm-hmm. um, I hope to God they're able to get him into the Red Hulk at some point. That could be a very formidable villain mm. that I think would be a fun transformation. And they need some villains. They need... They need a bruiser in the Marvel Universe right now, and I don't know if that character exists. Mm-hmm. He's right there. He hasn't done shit as the leader of the military forces, so let's give him something to turn into this raging Red Hulk, and the Red Hulk's awesome. Yeah. Okay, that's not this film. Mm-hmm. This film is we land on wherever the hell we land on this puddle jumper in Russia, Yeah. I guess. Mm-hmm. We take this puddle jumper all the way back to Russia? I guess so. Hmm. Ohio to Russia. <laughs> Overnight. Yeah, you know. The red eye. Yep. Haha. Uh-huh. And... They are immediately taken under the wing of Shostakovich with Dimitri. What the hell's this guy's name? Okay, yeah, Does it, whatever this guy's name is. Drakov. Ray Winstone. Let's just call him. Let's just call him Ray Winstone. <laughs> Drake. Doesn't Ray Winstone play this character in every movie he's in? It's you just took the words. Go run with it. Yeah, yeah it's just like yeah, because because. He just always plays this like quasi mob guy, and I know this isn't a mob movie, but they portray the Kinda. Red Room as a bit of like a black market type thing. He play even in Crystal Skull, he's like a double. Uh, <laughs> you think you right? I think Harrison Ford. I think Indy says, "So what are you like a triple agent?" Because he's like double cross, double cross, double cross. Yeah, so he's and they land there and to pay off these debts, and the parents go on their own way. I mean, Rachel Vice has been you know, shot up and they're going to go operate on her. But the family dynamic is done at this point. Like it was just a job we find out. And then the girls really shaken up as they should be is like, what the hell is going on here? You said we're going on an adventure. What the hell is this? Um, taken under the wing of Drakov to go through the program. Now they've, they, now's the time apparently. Uh, uh, go ahead. This is puzzling to me. We know that Drakoff is going to screw over the Red Guardian. Mm -hmm. How do we get from the landing strip in Mother Russia, St. Petersburg, I think, Mm -hmm. to him being in prison? I know that Drakoff screws him over, and he... Aren't we missing a large piece of linear storytelling here? We are. This movie's already two-plus hours, that would make it two-and-a-half to go into into those scenes. But you're right. There's something happens. Some double-cross some double cross happens. Some triple-cross happens mm-hmm. where Red Guardian ends up in the the gulag. So <laughs> I didn't miss it. It, just, it really wasn't in it there. It really wasn't in there. So this guy is in Ohio mm-hmm. doing the bidding for Dracov. Yeah. He gives his two daughters, yeah. we're going to find out they're not really by blood, mm-hmm. to the Black Widow program. Yeah. And his comeuppance is to be put in the gulag because something happened to have happened. Like it just threw his own vices. Of maybe he got caught. Maybe he. I get the impression that he's pretty hard drinking, even though he's not drinking. You know, he just seems yeah. drunk. <laughs> exactly. What did you think of this? I kind of really like because I I know they're going for some type of a Bond or Jason Bourne esque vibe here, mm-hmm. and I really like this because we don't get credit sequences in the Marvel universe. We get Iron Man starts and boom, we're in it. Yeah. Doctor Strange starts and boom, he's operating. Here we take four minutes to mm-hmm. just do the names, 
in a very Bond like David Fincher esque credit sequence mm, well said, to right, yeah. this kind of cool rendition of Smells Like Teen Spirit by Nirvana. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of on board. It's it's haunting, it's atmospheric, yeah. and I'm like, is this the vibe they're going for? Because I'm on board because this is kind of what I wanted out of this. I want this dark heart hitting spy esque film and they're kind of doing a decent job here at the beginning. I'm on board with where this is going. I picked up on that and I didn't understand until you just said it right now. It does feel like a Fincher beginning. Yeah. Like, um, Uh if you can do this, you take grunge and turn it into haunting. Well, he did that Like he did creep with social network, uh, Radiohead. So, and then turn like the newspaper clippings or the snapshot element. Mm -hmm. You're right. That is seven, isn't it? Very, yeah. Very, yeah. The game seven social network or the other one uh, is a dragon tattoo. How about that? Yeah, so I'm digging the vibe here at the beginning. Like, this is w- exactly what I wanted from a Black Widow story. So let's see if the story is able to catch up with those other needs I need. <laughs> I think uh, you're about to get catfished. No, well, I'll tell you the moment when it happens because it's the movie. It's the moment I completely turn on this and I don't look back. So, oh wow, let's let's get to it. So we catch up with Natasha. It's in between, like I said, a weird period. It's. Post-Civil War, so this is post all the breakup of the Avengers. She's on the run. Steve Rogers and crew, they're all on the run. Or He broke them all out of the, the raft, right? And Thunderbolt Ross is catching her. So she's just trying to like keep it at bay. And I kind of like her whole situation. She's got all these safe houses everywhere. So we catch up with her in Norway. And, you know, she's got almost like her cue. You know what I mean? This is the guy that's going to get her like resources and stuff. He's totally friend zoned, by the way, because at the end I was like, gosh, this guy, he's just like, you know, he likes her like deeply. And she's just like, you're a real good bud, man. And I'm like, oh, God, (laughs) (laughs) high five. Yeah, high five. Yeah, you just killed that guy's spirit. But I kind of like that she has these elements in place and all the fake IDs. And she has places to go when she's not fighting crime. And what's always missed on me in these films that they don't think they do a good enough job explaining is how popular the Avengers characters are in society. Mm. That people wear their clothes, play with their toys, they're well-regarded, and I don't think they do a good enough job of showing that. Um, because we get a lot of people saying, or uh, her sister her sister later says, well, people can't just go and kill an Avenger. Everyone's going to know about that. Like they, they always talk about it with really high authority, which I think is interesting. I just, I just would like more of that. If they're able to do that, then her being on the lamb takes on a lot more significance. And this guy's role probably also increases. And I think there's some room for this character to be all right. Like, he's going to get her a Quinjet at some point in this mm-hmm, film. Mm-hmm. But instead now he's just, um, you know, the guy that shows up to res- rescue Indy from Alfred Molina. And, you know, that's my pet snake guy. Yep. Uh, what's that dude's name in Indiana Jones? Satipo. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that's my pet snake, Reggie. Yeah. Oh, no, that's not so deep. You know what I'm that, talking that's about, That's Frank though. Marshall, the producer. You know what I mean? It is, but that the character's name. Yes. Jock. Jock. There you go. Yeah. So he's reduced to that. And what's interesting is what strings he will need to pull to not only cue her with secret identity, but then the necessary equipment to travel abroad clandestine. That's a story. Again, so now we've identified the Red Guardian piece that wasn't told. And this one that has underdeveloped. Maybe we're on to something. Let's catch up with the other piece of the sister, Yelena Belova. 
what I never knew prior to this, and maybe just because I just don't read Black Widow comics, and I only when she shows up. But like the Black Widow name is yet her name, mm-hmm. but it's also a moniker for this group. Mm-hmm. They're the Black Widow assailants, very much like Kill Bill, doing like hit jobs all over the world. And we're gonna find out that there's a ton of them. Yeah. Uh, but we kind of catch up with one hit in progress, and it's where we kind of get the MacGuffin of sorts, which is this red dust. <laughs> Uh, which is able to break the 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 red uh, the red room spell the mind control yeah the the free yeah the free will control yeah is what is how they they talk about it where did that come from well that could be interesting I want to know more about how that's done like mm. what are the processes of doing that is this like a get out scenario where we're like is it mm-hmm. lobotomy we're gonna find out later it's as simple as breaking your nose. <laughs> Right, <laughs> and that's enough to break the spell, mm. the pheromone spell later with Ray Winstone. But so we have the item now. It's- you're reducing <clears throat> this really important piece in Black Widow mythology and the storytelling that you're giving me, the Red Room, yeah, to a location of minimal significance, Jesse. Mm-hmm. The Red Room is the problem with Black Widow. Well, well the movie or in general. In general, so I wanted to comment on the Yelena Belova piece. Okay, yeah, good. My first introduction to her was in maybe the late 90s, early aughts, mm-hmm. when Marvel released the Marvel Knights series. Oh, yeah. That's when Kevin Smith took over Daredevil and did some really nice work there, too. They tried again with Moon Knight, and it <laughs> lasted well, about five episodes. Marvel... But they did a Black Widow run, and she took the mantle. Mm. But there were references, and again, not having read... A lot of Thor. I read even less Black Widow, mostly because whether she was just in the Avengers or unreadable on her own, Mm. she didn't even carry her own series other than a two or three issue run, right? Mm So I got the... This is crazy. Mm -hmm. My first impression of the Black Widow in reading that Marvel Knights series was as many times as Elektra has been killed and resurrected. She felt like a knockoff version of Electra. And I mean, Black Widow, Scarlett Johansson, Natasha Romanoff proper, not Yelena Belova. And then yeah. she showed up and I'm like, who in the fuck is this? Yeah. We'll say one thing though. Yeah. Francis Pugh. Florence. Sorry. Florence <laughs> Pugh is a fantastic little sister. Yeah. And I hadn't seen her since Midsommar. And I want to do this right now because yeah. I thought she fucking killed it in this film. No, she's, she's a really good actress. Okay. So yeah. Because I even saw, I even saw the the Little Women that that, that she was in too, the that that adaptation and that and then what was the the, the WWE film? What was that? The oh, she is in that. You're right. Playing um, with your family or yeah, 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 with the Rock. Yeah. yeah, yes, yeah, she's great. Yeah, yeah. What is it? I did see that film too. That Fighting was, with your family. But that's a good movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you're right. She's in that. Yeah. So yeah, props to to, to her. Okay. There but, we go. But, Silver lining. But to the. <laughs> <laughs> to the red dust aspect of 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 sorts. So now we have our our our, our tesseract moment. You know what I mean? Our mm. our uh, our Hitchcock MacGuffin that's going to drive the plot. So she mails that to Natasha. I don't know how she knows about the Norway safe house, but she does because it's waiting there in a box. And then Natasha's just trying to go about staying pretty low key. And then uh, we get the the first kind of confrontation. We find out that. Uh, Ray Winstone is sending the Taskmaster. We know, I don't even know if the Taskmaster name is ever said in this. We just know it as that character mm-hmm. is sent to go retrieve these vials. We understand the significance of them now. They're able to break the curse or to break the spell. And then we get this battle on the the bridge here. 
So what? So let's talk about Taskmaster for a bit. So the the Marvel comic version of Task, he's just kind of like a mercenary of sorts. And the cool thing about him is that he's able to see with his photographic memory and mimic and create the fighting styles of all these superheroes. And they do do that in this film. Like there's those scenes of of the Taskmaster watching the film and they even go a little step further with he's got like this upload link like where they can, you know, plug in the data so he, he she can learn the fighting techniques. I got to tell you, Matt, I know it's not verbatim from the Taskmaster from the comic books, but I kind of like the idea of that the Red, the Black Widow, this Stendral Chamber Society has their own like personal hitman that is their cleaner. He's the wolf of Pulp Fiction. You know what I mean? Like they send him out to go clean things up and go retrieve things. And I think that's an interesting way to portray the Taskmaster. I'll even tell you later when we do get the reveal, I'm still kind of going with it. It's only at the final sequences where they totally wreck the character uh, and, and ruin any choices of any chances of this ever playing out in any future installments, which I think the Taskmaster can present a pretty formidable opponent if he can mimic oh my goodness yes if he can mimic cap's fighting style and he has his own shield too and the fighting style of spider-man like you got someone that is able to learn he reminds isn't the taskmaster equivalent on uh isn't it as uh asriel and it's in batman they even Mm -hmm. look the same yeah uh yeah it's, it's that aspect being able to mimic and learn sword shield and the ability to instantly recognize the foes that you're going up against and emulate their style. That's a pretty great villain. Yeah. That's burned now. Yeah, that's burned. Yeah, you're right. We've burned a villain in a throwaway thing and, or in a throwaway moment and mostly a throwaway film. And that's really disappointing. We've talked a lot about this and it's, as we go forward, what fodder can we find that is street level worthy instead of intergalactic omnipotent? Well, here it is. And we had it, yeah. didn't we? And it's gone. And we've had two of them now in the last three months, and yeah. that's Baron Zemo, mm-hmm. who cares anymore. Yeah, he's in prison again. <laughs> and the Taskmaster. Yeah. I mean, I guess you're going to be left with some stuff around Val, and we'll get to that. But oh, well, there's the, just I some very I... questionable decisions that are made over... Oh, when when you have a franchise like this, yeah. and I think the number one goal is to continue to just expand horizons so that you can tell more stories. What they seem to be really good at in that is destroying potential adversaries in those distant horizons. They're never going to run out of villains in Marvel. There's plenty. Just look in the pages of thousands of, of comics. Face Pop Pete. <laughs> it, but the thing that they're not doing, they're not killing them, so they could make their appearance, but what they're doing is they're undoing the character only to have to redo, redo it, it mm-hmm. to make them bad again. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's I don't like that as a, as a plot point, but I'm kind of going with the Taskmaster here at the beginning. Uh, they come in, he, he's got his own things. I kind of like his little view screen. That that's, that's new and different. I'm still on board, Matt. I'm still liking this. It's, it's different, and it's where I want to see Natasha. Here, a fight on a bridge, that's realistic to me. Can I ask you one more quick question about the Taskmaster? Yeah. Do you like this updated, for lack of a better term, starkized version of the traditional Taskmaster? Yeah, I'm okay with that. Yeah, okay. I'm just curious. You can still see, because his thing is he's like a skull man. Yeah. And almost in like a medieval regalia with his chain mill. And they had a little bit of that. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I'm going with it. Yeah, if this is their version to kind of pump it up with some height. Okay, so what I want to know, though, 
obviously it's high tech and Ray Winstone's tapped into some type of technology to have this person learn these things, this AI. I want to know more about that. Where did that come from? How did you find the technology to learn how to learn people's fighting techniques? Never told to us. Because as far as we know, the Black Widow, they're just they're just assassins. They're not like, you know, fight learners other than Taskmaster. But here, I'm, I'm good. Yeah, I think the costume looks great, actually. I think it's a modern interpretation of the comic book. It looks looks pretty good. Okay. So <clears throat> we find out that the Taskmaster is indeed looking for... So Natasha's like, wait, so these are pretty important. I need to look into like what this is. Tracks it down to Budapest. And it's the reunion of her and her sister. Now, here in the beginning, I was really confused as to like why they like get into this fight. Battle, right. Looks cool as hell. I'll tell you that. It's well choreographed, but I don't like scenes where, where like, we have to, the character development, we have to show that characters are proficient at fighting by having them fight when it makes no sense. My only hypothesis was that Elena was upset that Widow had left her when they were young. That was the only thing I could think of. And I was like, why aren't they putting their guns down? These two know each other. Why are they so hostile? And then I also thought I was like, well, does she think she's still under the guise of the red of the of the Black Widow, the Black Widow trance? Nothing's ever told to us. And and my thing is, they just fight just to fight. No, you're exactly right. I kept waiting for the line when she said, "I sent you the information to come here." so that I could leave you behind in a vulnerable state the way you left me behind, or some vengeance for having been wronged in the Black Widow Red Room scenario where Natasha left her behind. Instead, this is inviting someone to your birthday party and then telling them, no, 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 you don't need to bring any gifts because it's not that kind of a party. And then when they show up without any gifts, sending them home. Why would you invite Natasha and give her the keys to the kingdom that is to destroy the mind control devices in the red room? And I want to say something more about that in just a moment Yeah, or come back to it to only have her show up so you can shoot her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you No, exactly? I was like, does she maybe not think that's Natasha? Is there a disguise element here? If you trusted her enough to send the right. vials, why would you then have the instinct to then kill? Damn you for talking about logical plot points and cause and effect in story. You are way overthinking this, Jesse. Well, okay. It's like, no, no, but I'm being a smartass because we're not. This basic common sense here. I think it's my issue with just a lot of films just in general nowadays. You know what I mean? Like the, the whole logic is just completely out the window for spectacle. <laughs> yeah. And when the spectacle's here, it looks great. I, I'm not, there's no denying that. Because this scene we're going to get naked, this motorcycle chase with and then Taskmaster and Toa, that's also exciting too. Like, like those are elements that work for me. It's born like. If the Yelena Natasha battle isn't frustrating enough, let me give everybody one more thing to think about that will frustrate you even more with no explanation as to really why, other than decade old vendetta. Okay. Sisterly vendetta. Yeah. Bad guys show up. Mm-hmm. You have Stormtrooper fodder that you can use to showcase your fighting abilities in two unique manners where they didn't even need to duke it out with each other. Because, I don't know, is there a difference between five guys in black suits versus 25 guys in black suits? No, yeah. They were right there. They're going to make mincemeat of them. (sighs) But what I am kind of, once they they get over this fight, there is an element here that starts playing out that I am intrigued by, and that's Yelena's, like, 
latching on to those moments from the past of that sisterly sisterhood. And you were my, and Natasha, like we weren't even blood, like we weren't even related. And like, those are like moments that hit pretty hard that you're like, well, we could, there's a lot to play with here. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what, what kind of rift is there that being that you think that I left you and what we can play in play with, you know, going forward. So what ends up resulting in this chase fisty cuffs is, you know, it's another thing with taskmaster and they survived this, insurmountable car crash into the subway oh my goodness <laughs> and that's the thing too i was like i was like with an area scratch uh yeah an area scratch and like they're surviving these jumps and like and these these kind of rolls off the off the freeway but uh we got black widow on board now we got natasha on board saying like well if you're saying you have these vials that do this thing and this is true and you're telling me that the Red Room and Dracoff, that these things are still alive. Because, oh, what we find out, the big revelation, Matt, Budapest, mm-hmm. this story, it was to execute and kill Dracoff and his daughter. And his daughter. Yeah. And would have been nice to maybe see it. You know what I mean? Like, it's just another moment in passing. Mm-hmm. Unless they're saving it for another subsequent entry, which I don't I don't know what, what gas is left in the tank after that. Mm. But we do find out that's that's the cause, that you're telling me that this guy that I killed, my initiation into S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, that this he's still out there. He's mm-hmm. still alive. And maybe his daughter's still alive, too? Or that's never said yet. So we get, find, don't let the cat out of the bag. Yet. Yeah, let's not let the cat out of the bag. But we we have the buy-in from Natasha, so she's we're like, well, how are we going to do it? And it's essentially, let's like, we got to get the band back together. So we go to this Russian gulag uh, mountainscape prison where we're going to go re- rescue Red Guardian, Alexei David Harbor, essentially playing the character he's going to be playing in Stranger Things season four because he's in a Russian science prison in that thing. Uh, I thought that scene was pretty cool of him. Like he's like he's like prison like uh, celebrity and every, or like everyone wants to arm wrestle him, but then he just like makes do and he breaks that guy's. It was almost fly like. So Easter egg about that. Mm-hmm. That guy's arm that he breaks mm-hmm. is actually a Russian mutant called the Bear, mm-hmm. and he's able to transform himself into a bear. Interesting. So there you go. Thank you. Something to go forward with. <laughs> You waiting for it? I'm waiting for it. Okay. The moment where I totally turn my back on the film. So we get this. uh, We're going to have this rescue scene, and we're going to get him out, and they stage a coup or this riot in there. And so now it's complete chaos, and it's like, get all the people out of here. They're out in the open. And then it helped me with this because I can't remember this. How does this avalanche start? There's some explosions that went off or something happens. I'm going to see if I can find it. Yelena shoots the tower across the way that has that large turret gun that's trying to shoot her helicopter. And when that thing explodes, the reverberations from that explosion shake the surrounding mountains, and that's what causes the avalanche to... uh, Yes. Avalanche. Okay. They could have done a really cool, I think, spy-level believability prison breakout scene. It's not like we're going to say we're above ripping off Mission Impossible because they're going to do the (laughs) face mask thing better than Mission Impossible ever could later. Mm -hmm. Uh, They could have done a really cool, ingenious prison breakout scene. And no, it turns into typical Marvel fashion. It's not enough that they're going to rescue this guy out of a prison, but that this avalanche is beckoning down on this prison 
the CGI garbage fest, and Natasha's gonna on a on a piece of wire swing down and pick up Red Guardian just in the nick of time, and I'm like. Fuck, like, it's just, like, it doesn't need to be that. It never needed to be that. I don't know why Feige and Crew's notion is to, in order for this to be exciting, we got to make it as implausible as possible. Like, you didn't need it. In a grounded, realistic setting, you could do a, look at a film like uh, Logan Lucky, where they break Daniel Craig out of prison, and they stage a pretty unique way for him to get out of prison. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of great prison break films that you could take from or be inspired by. No, it's to make it as insane as possible to the point of, oh, God, like, you know what I mean? Like, this is that moment where I'm like, it didn't need to be this fantastical. It's Black Widow for crying out loud. This isn't Iron Man. This isn't Thor. And this is where everything goes straight downhill for me, this moment here. I think the trouble that happens that leads up to your frustration is what paints them into a corner, and it's the message delivered to the Red Guardian that we're going to come and get you out of this gulag. So he gets a gift, and the gift is an action figure of himself. Mm-hmm. Inside that action figure of himself is hidden any number of secret devices that he could use in order to spring himself from this gulag. They choose to go with the easiest, cheapest, quickest right, which is an earpiece so that we can communicate one way. And now I'll, and I want to say one way. Yeah. Now he's going to be able to communicate back. I don't know how the fuck, cause there's no microphone in there, Yeah. but it's an earpiece. It's not a shiv. It's not any number of things that could be really cool that instead of go big action, smash up feature yeah. turns it into what you wanted. Mm-hmm which is a bit cerebral spy thriller. How do we break this guy out under the cover of night? Instead, the walls of Troy come down and everyone in the world, which this doesn't make sense either. Why were all the prisoners in that gulag chasing the red guardian? I don't know. They were mad at him. The walls come down and the prisoners in this freezing, obviously Russian, terrible living conditions, gulag facility well they're all dead now after this avalanche (laughs) choose to chase the red guardian they would flee i can't believe i'm gonna say this but i do you remember when they broke zemo out of prison in episode three yes better than this oh yeah (laughs) yeah no question yeah it's just right it's just just too much it's just like i don't know and then this always happens in these marvel films it seems like now is when the backs are up against the wall and we can do something unique and exciting, we've done a good job building up some character moments. We totally throw that out the window for the spectacle. And it just, the, the, the believability is totally out the window. And I have suspension of disbelief. Don't, don't give me no shred of that. But you've already established Black Widow as just a human being. We don't need her to be supernatural. This is the Iron Man level of rescue shit like that she's doing here. And it's going to get worse in the final scene. So... The spectacle that you're talking about is just a decision in the writing room to not take what could be a cool moment and build upon it. If you and I are given that scene as the D-list screenwriters that we are, and it's like, we want you to break this guy out of a Russian facility, we would go and sit down and hammer out 15 little sneaks <laughs> and disguises and make it cool. Sewers and yeah. changing clothes. It doesn't need to be Shawshank, but damn it, I'd sure try. Yeah. And instead, 
the 15 writers on this movie, three, but you know what I mean. Fuck, all, it, fuck it, an avalanche comes. Exactly. <laughs> just, just blow it up and we'll have them escape on a wire that Natasha has decided to hang herself from as the helicopter rescues him from the peril of the avalanche at the last second. So silly. Dun, dun, dun. It's so silly. Weak. Weak. Let's get to the next moments here. So we now have red, we have dad. We have dad back. And they're pretty pissed at him. And he's like, why you, why you so mad at me? You're like, what did I do to you? And they're like, well, like, well you left. Us. You lied to us. You did this. So there's, there's, and I'm, I'm buying in. The buy-in's back. I, I, okay, you're, like, you're, you're returning it. They get to the farm now with Melina. And we kind of learn her role in this whole thing. She's actually like head architect of like, like science and helping determine free will here with these pigs and stuff. What do you think of this? Once the group is back together and they're kind of play out in the revealing of sins and the betrayals and the backstabbing, like how does this all work for you? Because I think, do we spend 15, 20 20 minutes with this on this farm here, kind of really hashing it out? How does this play out for you? Does it work? Does it not work? Is it too much, too less? The sins or grievances need to be aired. Mm -hmm. And there's certainly a betrayal that has infiltrated this family structure. Okay. Mm-hmm. There's some there's some internal conflict stuff that can be done pretty well. Per dialogue and per delivery, I think it's pretty good, actually. We like families at dinner table scenes. <laughs> Which is a no-no in screenwriting also. You're not mm-hmm. supposed to do the exposition dump at the dinner table. It's just very yeah. unimaginative. Mm-hmm. But so is rescuing someone from the prison the way they did. I think it's unimaginative, but in the circumstances of this family, like dad who's now wearing his superhero regalia, yeah. sister who still thinks they're a real family, Natasha who's just like, I just want to like yeah, 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 throw a finger to all of this. And then the mother who's like, I can't get like a real read on her. Like she seems really hesitant that like everyone's back, but yet she's kept photo albums all these years mm-hmm. of the family. But some of it works for me, and, yeah, some, no, and yeah. some of it doesn't work for me. The- I, it, I'm with you on that. Yeah. I really like the part when Yelena storms off into her bedroom. Mm-hmm. That's what little sister would do. And I like how dad follows in there with this very sorry excuse for an apology that is barely working at all. Doesn't he talk about how he's like killing a fish or something? Yeah, how his dad had to pee on it. But so this is this is the David Harbour as Red Guardian excellence and failure at the same time. Mm-hmm. He's explaining to Yelena the situation that happened with his dad where the water was freezing cold and they were fishing in an ice shack and he plunged his hands into the lake to catch a fish, and when he pulled his hands out, he had frostbite. So to subvert the onset of having to remove these fingers through frostbite, his father, the Red Guardian's, I'm assuming, biological father, mm-hmm. pees on his hands. This is comic relief. Yeah. But what works, and it's, it's funny, like, that's funny. She, like, Yelena turns over her shoulder and says, what the, what does that have to do with anything? Why do I care about that? And he just goes, cause you know, dads making the excuse. Like we are a fairly simple creature and this is me and my simple way learning how to handle you girls. Okay. That's all funny. And that all works. And it's delivered by Harbor who, you know, I'm not a huge fan of, 
I thought about you a lot watching this movie. He's my favorite character in the film, though. <laughs> yeah. So that, maybe I surprising. so maybe I just don't like him in Stranger Things, yeah. and maybe it's a larger problem of Stranger Things sure, for me. Yeah, but sure. that's not this show. Yeah. That's coming. I'm sure on the Patreon. <laughs> yeah, it is. That's coming on Patreon. <laughs> um, it works, and he delivers it pretty well. But it, again, to the my overall statement so far has just been laziness. Yeah. If you're gonna go to the trope of the Kevin James, everybody loves Raymond. Dad is just a doofus because that's what's been done with dads in sitcoms for literally the last decade. Why not use it here? Hell, then the I'm last, ca- the last forty years. Right? Man. Okay. <laughs> Dick Van Dyke was a doofus too. All right. Okay. <laughs> this isn't any new any new territory it works and it's short so it's not that of putting but if you boil it down to what's happening we are just reheating the same russian tv dinner you, that was you know bob newhart do you like the the american pie singing back and forth bit it's like a recollection of those past you know memories i guess i mean they're drawing the connection and that's a nice song to do it with um it's, it's, yes it's kind yes. of a setup it was set up earlier when they're driving to the airport in the opening bit but then, yeah, we learned that yeah, Rachel Weiss has kept all these uh, photo albums. So she does have some feelings and memories and fondness of these times. Yeah. So unbeknownst to us at the time, they're about to concoct this crazy plan. Uh, and that's to go in, infiltrate the Red Room, because she knows the location of it. But in order to do so, she has to lead the agents to the house. You're going to arrest them, take them into custody, but it'll get us there. And then we'll take it out from the inside out. Okay, Matt, the Red Room. Prior to this film, my familiarity with the Red Room, and I don't let's let's get into it. I kind of thought I was like, this is probably just some like mansion in the middle of the Russian wilderness. Like, no, it's fucking Cloud City. Like, what is the Red Room? Is a, literally a satellite floating in the clouds. Yep, you're out. What? No, I'm, I was already out. I kind of got back in. I'm super out now. This is so stupid. So stupid. Especially when you have the recesses of Russia that geographically hide everything because it's so cold, a.k.a. Siberia. You mentioned Red Sparrow, which was mostly kind of a miss for me. For everyone. That's a terrible film. It could have been... Excellent. Or it could have been excellent, but the, it should have been... This movie should be more that and less what this becomes. Like, this just gets so ridiculous here at the end. It wasn't as good action-wise as Atomic Blonde. Oh, and it uh, wasn't uh, Atomic as, Blonde's amazing. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and it wasn't as edgy sexy for whatever did work in Red Sparrow as Red Sparrow was. It's a Disney film. Let's remind yeah, ourselves about that. That's fair. So I guess Disney used one of their other pre-established properties, which would be Star Wars, and they turned the Red Room into Bespin. Literally. Literally. It's Cloud City. That's what I told <laughs> Denise. I'm like, fuck, we're at Bespin. Yeah. I'm just waiting for Lando to swoosh in with this cape. <laughs> in the So we've turned the spy thriller into action movie, and now it's doubled down on science fiction? Let's talk about Moonraker, because yeah. Natasha knows Moonraker verbatim, because mm-hmm. she's watching it, and I'm like, man, of all the Bond films to just like have in your arsenal verbatim, <laughs> Moonraker. fucking Moonraker, which honestly isn't as bad as everyone gives it credit for, but it's so perplexing. It's a bad film. Uh it, it's turning into Moonraker. Mm-hmm. We're in space, quote unquote, almost there with the space base. And now we're going to have all the, like the, the everything kind of come to be. I mentioned Mission Impossible, Mass, because 
the buy-in there is that they have these silicone latex masks that can replicate human faces. Here, it's just like a, a, a technology like like face on your face. So when that happened, yeah, the reveal. Okay, so two weeks ago, maybe a week ago, mm-hmm. you voiced what you and I had both hoped, and that was the rather secretive nature of who was going to play Taskmaster. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not in the credits. So we didn't know who it was going to be. And I thought when the mask bit started to happen that we were going to get the prominent Russian family that I mentioned in the flight. Mm -hmm. And that's Craven's half-brother, the chameleon, Dimitri, I forget what, Dimitri something, as an element that played into the masking as the taskmaster, especially if when we get the taskmaster, I don't want to give too much away here, but the face reveal is it's jacked. Okay. So the taskmaster for everybody is, um, Dracoff's Dracoff's daughter that, uh, Natasha thought she killed. She in fact didn't kill him. He rescued her and then turned her into, the super soldier taskmaster. And I'm okay with that. I like I'm all, I'm all, I'm I'm fine with that. It's 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 not the comic book version. It's this movie's interpretation. Sure. It it's <laughs> it's not what kills the, the 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 film for me. It's Go ahead. So we get to the captive state investment <laughs> the red room. And the masks and we come to realize that oh my gosh. Mom Romanoff mm-hmm. has set them all up. And this in is a all good, in a good way. Well, at first we think she's like, she's working with, sure, yeah. um, I can't remember the guy's name because he doesn't matter. That's why Drake Ray Winston. Mm-hmm. So we're going to go forward about five minutes and then we're going to get the reveal where mom's face is taken off and it's Natasha and Natasha's face is taken off in the cell next to the red guardian and it's mother and bump, bump, bum. You didn't know who we think you were. And now Natasha has the Red Room organizer, the hit, the target, the assassin, Ray Winston, dead to rights because it's just the two of them. Mm-hmm. She's finally got him. Yeah. Okay. Going to take it from there because yes. then we're going to get a bunch of action bullshit and you already said there's something in here that was also a deal breaker for you. Well, it's, it's the... the so he's got these super enhanced pheromones that like, it's almost like he has a Ronnie Cox level directive for that prohibits a black widow from killing an operative of OCP. <laughs> so she can't pull the trigger. Nope. She can't pull the trigger. The gun works. He tests it and he like implanted in all of them. Mm-hmm this super firewall <laughs> that you cannot act against me in any way. And then we finally get, we get the bond villain reveal where it's the bond villain where he reveals everything he's ever done. His grand scheme of plans, which is these black widow agents all over the world. There's thousands of them, all these girls that have been taken from broken families and orphans and this and that. And I gave them a better life and all this and that. And <clears throat> In between all that, Taskmaster's fighting Red Guardian. Elena's uh, trying to find the widows here to give them the dust. And uh, Rachel Vice is trying to find a way to land this cloud Space city. <laughs> yeah, cloud city. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of get the, the this, you know, this hesitation. And then it's like we get this little bit of dialogue that there's a lot of flashback back to the farmhouse of the prepping for this mission. Yeah. And Rachel Vice says... 
you have to like block the temporal lobe or something in the brain. If you break the connection, you can break the spell. Apparently, you don't have to have a full-on lobotomy. You can just bust your face, mm -hmm. and then that's enough. Oh, God, the lazy rears its ugly head again in this moment. And then it's just action bonanza at this point. Yeah. This thing's crashing to Earth, and we got to get out of here, and people are flying and fleeing, and the thing's crumbling around. Like, what, what do you think of all this? Like it, like, it reaches such a peak of insanity, it's almost hard to comprehend. It's Transformers. Oh, yeah, good, good example. It's a level of spectacle that is so busy and so irrelevant that none of it matters. Not only is it hard to decipher exactly who's what and what's going on, because we're not shaky cam and we're not rotating cam, but there's a lack of geography because the angles are so tight and the way it's so shot, you can't tell where anyone is in proximity to the rest of the landmark geography, which then creates a vacuous element. <laughs> That I really kind of stopped caring. Yeah. And you know eventually we're going to get through Taskmaster and get through the hordes of Black Widow stormtroopers so that we can finally get our final showdown with Dracoff. But at this point, we're probably 150, 155, maybe yeah, two. Yeah, it's, we're getting there. And it's just getting really long in the tooth. And I'm, I'm now I'm starting to suffer from exhaustion. And well, not like in a vodka good way. Like ugh, just not in a Las Vegas vodka good way. Just <laughs> yeah, you're, yeah. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> that's uh, a good story. Yeah. Um, do you remember me? You remember the end of Casino Royale on Coming Soon? That's a tease for I Smile Films. Yeah. Simple. We're in a Venice house that's, you know, literally falling into the Venice canals, and I have to save the girl, and I have to save these guys that are trying to kill me. It's so simple, and it's so just, it's so different. Here, we're literally falling from the sky, and I want more of that. The Jason Bourne final, and it kind of gets a little Jason Bourne-y here with Ray Winstone, where... Jason Bourne's whole thing was Treadstone. Fuck, Brian Cox. I need to find out who I am. And then here, it's like, they <laughs> had that moment. Awesome. They had that moment. Yeah, right? You watch three films in Ultimatum to like get to that moment where he's like, who am, who am I? Treadstone, fuck, Brian Cox. Who am I? Yeah, who am I? That's, hey, I just summed up the whole trilogy in that a sentence. Great. Good. But she finds out she really wants to know where her mother is. Where did you get me from? And then it's this whole thing. We buried her with this grave unknown and this whole thing. And that's, oh, my God. Like, we'll wait wait to that scene here coming up in a bit. But mm -hmm. she really wants to know more about her identity. It's that Bourne-esque element. I don't know anything about who I am. I've lived this whole life as a lie. And I'm intrigued by that question. The film just doesn't go into any more detail with it whatsoever. Instead, we got to wrap up this craziness here. So you wanted to know the the other moment here. Mm -hmm. So once everything sh uh, hit the fan here, and Yelena, I think, and I think it's fine that Yelena kills Drakeoff in the helicopter, and they all blow up. Finally, yeah. some consequence. But then the you're right, the physics, the transformers that are all we've established. These are human beings. These are just regular people. When they go through the red room, they're not given a super soldier serum. They're just really trained very well. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Nope, Elena's blown off this sky satellite and Natasha leaps and we are just falling through the sky, falling blood light, you're falling with flying with style and missing uh pieces of satellite and this and there's debris everywhere, but we're able to get her in midair. Oh good God. Mm -hmm. And here comes Taskmaster. Like he's he's she's in tow. We know at this point it's a she. Yep. 
it's it's complete insanity at this point. Yeah. They land on the ground like nobody like like you wouldn't if you land like with a, a parachute like that, like tumbling the way they do, you're hitting that ground at probably about 50 miles an hour. Nope, roll it off. We're ready for the final battle now. And she's able to dust Taskmaster. And I don't even know what that character's name is. It's just Taskmaster to me. Dusts her in the face. Is it Anna? I'll look it up. Whatever, yeah. You know, one of the things we talked about in Wonder Woman 84 that was the big, big deal breaker for me was choosing to do a battle with Cheetah in the Antonia. water. Antonia. Antonia. Yeah. Okay. Anna. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wonder Woman 84. Yeah. Right? So... Cheetah's really good on land, mm-hmm. sucks in the water. Now, if Wonder Woman chooses to use that to slow down the cheetah to give herself a better strategic chance, I'm on board. But that's not what happened. And they also fight in the air. Can the Taskmaster fly? No. Can Yelena fly? No, no one can fly. Can Natasha fly? No one can fly. What are we doing in the air? We're flying. Get the damn thing on the ground. Get them on the surface or, or just keep the... See, okay, so here it is, Jesse. You said I, it earlier. I was already queued up for this moment because this was in the trailer, and I was like... What is that? Yeah, what, what's going to happen there? And I'm not okay with that. If that thing's on the ground, we don't lose this very nondescript falling debris through the sky, sans parachute, use your Black Widow blasters to anchor you to a piece of building, mm-hmm. What? blah, 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 blah. Yeah. You just keep it on the ground, and we get a battle that suits the participants in it. Mm-hmm. Man, dude, this is very simple, simple it writing should, it stuff. It should be simple, yeah. And what's weird is, as we've bitched a lot about how they've taken the easier, lazy way out, this is the exact opposite. This is so complex, it doesn't even make sense. Uh, okay, I want to go here because we went there last week and it was a very interesting discussion that you and I had. Okay. Is this a Feige thing? Is this a Feige note to make these ends very climactic? Like, no one's doubting the excitement level that these endings of these last few films have been able to give off. They're very exciting. But not every film needs to end the same way. I mentioned Guardi- the Sky Beams and Guardians. Sokovia. Soko- this falling city End game. In Sokovia. Like make all- it rain fire. Yeah, all these things just falling from the sky. Like mm-hmm. every ending becomes the same thing. Dude, the first Avengers is that where Tony falls from the sky. Yeah, yeah, the sky portal in the first Avengers. I don't know whose huh. decision that is. If that's, it can be like every film writer's ending. And like, if it's just Feige's like, you need to make it exciting and it just becomes this. I, I don't know. And I don't think we ever will know, but it's a huge, it's a colossal miss for me. Cause this film didn't need to ever be as fantastical as any of these other, it doesn't need to be Dr. Strange. You're not bar- bargaining with Dormammu in this. It, this is an espionage battle of wits in a, Eight by eight cubicle, like that's what this needs to right. be. Yeah. Oh, good. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty well tuned out at this point. A lot less Guardians of the Galaxy and a lot more John Wick. Yeah, there you go. And there's shreds of that in here. Mm-hmm. The fighting style, the the they they took from the Bond films as well. The we're in Norway, we're in Budapest, we're in this, we're in Russia. Like it's the globe trekking spy adventure. Mm-hmm. It's just, it just gets so big for its bridges. <laughs> if Ray Winstone yeah. is barricaded in his fortress inside the Red Room, then you literally get the team, mom, dad, Elena, Natasha, moving through that fortress, destroying the <laughs> fodder mm-hmm. of soldiers 
on the way to until you get to the fortress that he's barricaded himself into. And that's where you get the taskmaster bit. There you go. We've seen that before, mm-hmm. right? That's nothing new. We've yeah. seen that before, yeah. but it's on the ground mm-hmm. instead of in the air. And you even could have done that in the air. Yeah. You know, it's a better thing than maybe blowing up his helicopter, which is just another battle to take place in the air when you were already in the air. Okay. If you, if you insist on this sky fortress, lock him in there, rescue all the black widows with the ability to deprogram them and blow that thing to kingdom come Mm -hmm. in the the captain goes down with the ship. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) That's pretty easy. And it's pretty easy because we're doing it right here off the cuff. So um, this is not high level screenwriting intellect. Instead, let's get out of this floating fortress to get into a helicopter to get out of the air. Well, I'm, I'm like, I had, I had an epiphany uh, watching this uh, film and I was like, maybe it's like, what's the problem? Am I, am I the problem? Am I, am my standards mm. too high or like, what's my status on new films? And I think there's kind of an epidemic in new films because I went back to like all the new films you and I have covered on this podcast mm. and which ones that I've like, really been on board with with the rise of skywalker was a colossal disaster for us end game we were kind of really shaky on spider-man Nah, we didn't like we were big fans of spider-man far from home i liked the knives out you were you had some thoughts on it but you kind of liked it too i watched it yeah an invisible man and i think that's it honestly uh-huh. oh and in quiet place i liked quiet place part two okay but uh everything else has just been like really mediocre mm-hmm. and i think that's the word mediocre is that we're wow. releasing these very palatable mediocre and i liked tenant but tenant came with its own set of challenges yeah plot wise mank we hate uh, wonder woman 84 was just uh, it's everything is just coming across the finish line Godzilla Kong. oh god uh snyder verse we is just coming across the line just okay and i'm not okay with okay yeah. i want something that's going to go above and beyond and be more brilliant. And we've done things that are recent, like Whiplash, Fury Road, that are within a few years span that are really great. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the miss is. I don't know what the disconnect is, but there's... Add Conjuring 3 to that, too. And that, I mean, that was a very telling moment because I think we both came to the conclusion like we had a wildly overinflated sense of how good that series was. Yep. But you're right. Mm-hmm. Is the goal... To make something that's just palatable and splashy enough that it doesn't derail the franchise. Could be. We had a, an interesting discussion yesterday in my house about this film. Mm-hmm. And it had to do with the selection of characters. Okay. Marvel has had the ability to take lesser characters and make them matter. See Ant-Man and see Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. Um and it's had the ability to take lesser characters and somehow make them less interesting. Also, for me, that Captain Marvel isn't really a lesser character per powers, but per prevalence and frequency in the Marvel Universe, it's a lower character. Yeah. Um, so you don't necessarily know what you're going to get when you step into a Marvel film anymore with the exception of it's probably tied to some larger bit. And I'm starting to wonder if that post credits moment, that's the Easter egg (laughs) is the reason why we sit through two hours of a film, because I think what's happened is Marvel. 
the last two films, Jesse, Spider-Man Far From or Spider-Man Far From Home and this one are post-in-game films and it hasn't moved the needle at all as to what's coming, which is fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what it has done in both cases is create a larger matrix that creates more possible spider web stories yeah. into what we get is just more opportunities to make more films, to make more revenue with very little regard for finishing it all up in some way that matters. And that is a huge task. Let me ask you this. Do you think Feige cares more about the bigger story and less about these individual efforts? I think at first he did. And I think that carried the first 24 films of Marvel. Mm -hmm. But, and I can recognize that there might be some exhaustion that he's now gone through having trying to keep the pieces together. This, if, go ahead. If you take all of the Easter egg stuff that was the first 24 films that created this nice interconnectivity between the movies and him being at the helm or the ringleader of that circus, mm -hmm. that had to be exhausting. Yeah. You and I could watch them over and over and we were exhausted trying to keep track. No, no, Thor showed up in Doctor Strange and he drank the beer and Thunderbolt Ross showed up and pitched the idea to the Avengers, right? All that was a lot to keep up with. I could tell you I'm exhausted more now than I've ever been at any point in this series before. Imagine being the guy. Because coupled that with the TV series? Yeah. Oh, God. Imagine being the guy that's got to keep all that straight in his head. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't want to bang on him too much. No, like I know, I'm, no. I'm disappointed in him recently. And I think partly with Black Widow. Yeah. I don't think this was ever supposed to be this linchpin of what's coming. Although no, 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 we're going to get to what a linchpin is. And I think you and I, and maybe the rest of Marveldom, mm -hmm. and an admission of just rank honesty here. Yeah. Rot honesty. Yeah. Was so engaged in what they did for the first 24 films that they created this sort of addictive piece of me that ties back to youth with comics yeah. and the second act slag that we never got out of absolutely and kind of never grew up and nostalgia and i want that to be paid off in a way that's never going to be paid off because comics can't first of all it's a comic and second you can't come to a finality because mm -hmm. the financial machine stops somewhere in between all that that i just said i'm struggling with how do I make my peace with characters that I know are lesser? The Black Widow, like I like Scarlett Johansson and she's had a good role. That character sucks, dude. And I would have been okay with it if the, the story fit her style, her tone. Exactly. And th this film just does not do that at all. Uh, yeah, there was ground that could have salvaged or made this more important. Can you see why now we like that first Iron Man film so much? To that. Uh, it's wasn't tied to any of these expectations. It gets to tell its own story and it does tell its own story sure in its own and unique environment here. We're just, we're in the sky. We're just doing like the, the craziest things imaginable, but let's talk about these end scenes here because <laughs> the family disperses because Thunderbolt Ross is showing up, but he's a day late and a dollar short again, again, uh, and we kind of wonder, are they going to tell more adventures with that family? Maybe. I mean, if there, there could be a story to be told there if it told properly. You know what I mean? But I'm not, like, begging for that to be told at this moment right now. 
So then we cut back to the pre-leading up to Infinity War moment where she's now wearing Elena's vest. I thought that was an interesting tie. That it was just it's so ceremonial. It doesn't almost even matter. But it's a nice tie to that, that she's wearing that and then she wears that in the next film. Mm-hmm. And then to take off. But what the fuck is this moment with the fireflies under the tree? Is this the mom was buried there? Because remember, we get these illusions on where's mom buried. And we get the firefly bit at the beginning of the film. We're made to believe that she found the her mom's grave. And then it's flying. And then the fireflies are like illuminating as she flies over it. Ugh. I thought it was a Flora Colossus on Earth. No, I think that's... No, no, I mean, I know, I, that's what I thought. Are they leading to a Groot thing here? Oh, no, no, that's... I, thought, I, I don't I, know either. I thought that was a tight at the beginning in the Firefly oh, yeah. bioluminescence discussion, but that she found Mom and Mom was buried there. And I was like, why did this film get so sentimental at the end? I'm just like... <laughs> yeah, that was a bit puzzling. I didn't... Sure, that works. Uh, I, I kind of was... Just sort of thinking, why are you showing me this again? No, it, it doesn't. It doesn't work for me. This is such a a, a fist in mouth moment of just ugh. Okay. like it did. This film didn't need it at all. I mean, it, it we didn't need to like end on just such like a like a cute note. But that's the end of the film as we see it, and then ten minutes of credits. We get to thank all those great visual effects artists for making that sky scene look incredible. Mm. Let's talk about this end credit sequence, Matt. Yeah. I almost, I would have had uh, uh, another epiphany moment of maybe never watching a Marvel film ever again. Because Yelena and Natasha have this whistle, beck and call, back mm-hmm. and forth, that's very Mac and me or Gremlins. Pick pick which one that... Or Mockingjay. <laughs> yeah, like this kind of, this crazy whistle. And if Scarlett Johansson showed up yep. from behind a tree and whistled back... I was going to stop. I was going to be done. Like you, you couldn't like kill the character and then bring her back. And then she's there. But let's talk about the reveal. We do get uh, Contessa Von, uh, Von Trapp, Allegra de Fontaine, uh, Val, uh, uh, Let's just, call, let's just call her Val. Delafonte. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the third it shows Esquire. Up, yeah, shows up here. Okay, so for the non-Patreon listening, Matt and I had a hell of a time getting through Falcon and Winter Soldier, and this character showed up in the very end. Julia Louis-Dreyfus as Defontaine, a member. Of, I know her as a S.H.I.E.L.D. member, but she's like this like stendral secret society member at this point. She recruits Wyatt Russell's- Madam Hydra. U.S. agent at the end of that show. Spoiler alert. Mm-hmm. Or don't watch it. I don't really care. Yeah, <laughs> and she shows up here. My hypothesis, is she kind of like an anti-Nick Fury? Of Is she assembling what I've always wanted? This Legion of Doom? Of Is she assembling this like anti-hero team to put against this other team? Because I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's hope. Yeah. There's a huge suspension of disbelief we're going to have to get over. The message Val gives Yelena is, I know who killed or who's responsible for your sister's death, and she gives him a picture of Clint Barton, which is clearly going to lead into the Hawkeye series coming up. The worst photo of Jeremy Renner they could have found. It's like he just woke up. What's up up with that? Exactly. (laughs) terrible. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that's going to send... Yelena after Hawkeye or Ronan, however we find him in the Hawkeye series. Mm. How long is it going to take Clint 
to tell Yelena, your sister chose the sacrifice, especially when Natasha showed Yelena in the tunnels where they hung out for three days and played. I liked that. Tic-tac-toe. And then there was an important word on the hangman. What was it? Um, Oh, I forget what it was. Thanos. (laughs) Thanos. <laughs> it's something. Yeah, there's some larger. I forgot. What, there's some larger connection to. Let me see if I can find it. Yeah, there's some larger. It's looking in the Easter eggs. There's some larger connection to the Hangman game that they were pay, playing. Um. Anyway, that doesn't sound like a real tough sell to talk Elena into that because I'm sure Clint has plenty of proof. And frankly, Jesse, mm-hmm. I don't think Clint Barton is the most powerful Avenger by any means. Oh. But I think he's more than a match for Elena. Yeah. That's, <laughs> so that's a five minute scene. Wiped out. Okay. If Yelena can do the unthinkable, and in that series or before much much too further into whatever Marvel has, and that is do in Hawkeye, like kill him. Then you have the stealth assassin that that ancillary team that you are hoping will be created has if you think about it though we have the anti-black widow we have the anti-cap we already have two of the original six members kind of cool kind of cool you know loki seems to be the anti (laughs) the anti thor i mean there's you're right there is a fertile ground here i don't know where they're going to draw the tech piece for iron man it's something i've wanted dc fumbled that ball and if marvel's able to pick that back up you got me on board again yeah but the road to get there has been i'm gonna tell you it's been a slog these shows and you liked wandavision more than i did i kind of wasn't even a huge fan of that the shows this film, I didn't think that Agatha could be the Scarlet Witch, couldn't she? There you go. Yeah, and yeah. then Far From Home, like post End Game, and I didn't even really love that one hundred percent either. Mm-hmm. Man, it's been a road to get to this. But if that's the payoff and that plays out well, I might be on board again. Mm-hmm. The thing that's ultimately mm-hmm. going to we'll save it for the now. Let's save that conversation for the nightcap because I'm in just like a weird space with Marvel right now. Okay. This has been. Much like The Conjuring, this has been enlightening for me. This has been a, a come-to-Jesus to moment. To Where do you stand on the current state of things with this franchise? Because I don't think I'm a fan right now. It's like, a bit tenuous, I'll, for sure. I'll be honest, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think I probably, maybe I'm not quite as far there, but it's getting close. Yeah. The last film I liked was, in, in totality, was Infinity, Infinity War. War. To that. And that was 2018. So since then we've had Endgame and Spider Man and yeah. now Black Widow. Yeah, and, and three shows, three and a half series, two and a half series. Yeah, I'm kind of just uh-huh. miss, 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 exactly. Mm-hmm. But from all the missing, what is your favorite tasting note of Black Widow? <sighs> you want me to go? I really like the opening sequence. Yeah. I think that first ten minutes, that whole plane escape uprooting your life to the David Fincher credits, I think is super effective. I was actually, I wrote a note in my phone. I was like, this opening's kind of intense. This is what I've wanted from this film. The tone, I think they nailed in the, the early onset. And then they dismissed that later on as we as we move forward with the rest of the story. But for the first kind of 30, 40 minutes of this film, I was really digging it. And it was just, I almost had that Iron Man 3 moment with you where I was like, this film betrayed me. <laughs> that midpoint betrayal where I was just like, every other decision post that moment is just a miss, a miss, a miss, a miss. 
But everything before that was like, oh, I'm good. I'll, this is great. I think the f- battle between maybe Taskmaster and the Red Guardian might have been my famous brawl bit of the film. I'm going to do maybe two in one here. Okay. And they both revolve around David Harbour and the Red Guardian. It's either that, and it probably is that, but a close second or a worthy of mention would be the conversation that he has with Yelena that we talked about. I'll I'll go there also. Okay. Good choice. Goodness, Matt. What's the... Oh, my God! I already told you. It's the Gulag Avalanche Rescue. It killed the entire rest of the film for me. Okay, so this is going to surprise you. Okay. Mine's the pig bit. When they killed the pig? What the f- <laughs> So there's some pretty important dialogue going on right there the over free utters, will. Utters were like underneath its like chin. Did you see that? Weird. Yeah, that was strange. So as Melina is explaining the free will piece of the Red Room that she was given charge of, mm-hmm. this pig is suffocating. And I'm just sitting there thinking like, <laughs> Wow, Disney's stoning up. Like, we called Disney out a couple weeks ago to go ahead, and if you're going to go all the way, go all the way, right? They, and they, s- they stone up only to just pick up their stones and walk back down the path. <laughs> the problem with that is this pig is suffocating on the ground, and I didn't really care about this pig in so far anything was just this helpless pig, is it was so distracting, I think I missed some of the dialogue really? in that. That was really important, because I'm like, that pig, you get the pig to breathe, to breathe, to breathe. Well, it plays, in, well, I don't know how you get a pig to act not breathe, but it becomes my thing with Disney of these, like, CGI animals that are just so distracting on screen. Like, it's just like... Fake. It keeps coming up, doesn't it? It does keep coming up for me. I don't know what that mm-hmm. is, but we'll dissect that and put a, a definition on that maybe later in the future, but... Good choice. That was, that was a very interesting moment in the movie. And the family seems to just rather be with the... Is it Natasha? Mm-hmm. I think Natasha's the only one that really cares about the pig being able to breathe. She's like, you made your point. Let Fix the pig it. Bre- and dad's just eating his meatloaf and mom's just, you know, carrying on and Yelena's about to cry. It, <laughs> I love how when we talk about scene. family stuff, everyone's always eating meatloaf. That's like the meat. That's like the family <laughs> meal to eat, right? It is. Who's the master distiller on Black Widow? I'm going to give it to Miss Pugh. Yeah. I think she's terrific in this. Um, I'd forgot all about the fighting with my family, and so I guess I didn't realize till right now how much I actually really do enjoy her work. We'll do Midsommar. That's a master class <laughs> in just trauma and like reaction acting to trauma. Like She's so incredible in that movie. We just need Astor to come out with that third film. And He's we can making build it right cast. now. So. All right. So, in the works. In, in the pro- works. In production. Yeah. I'm going to give it to Scarlett Johansson. Okay. I like What I wanted from the... I wanted this to be a good swan song for the character because I honestly don't think we're going to see this character again. Okay. Uh, and I don't think the film is that, but she's good in it. You know what I mean? Like, this is, like, her moment to shine. Like, they've been talking about making this movie for a long time. Back in the Ari, uh, Avi Arad selling it to a different studio days, they've been talking about doing a solo Black Widow film since, like, 04. And it finally happened, and I think... It's a nice kind of, it's good to see her again, especially after such a long time from having a film in the theaters. Uh, I thought she did good. Uh, it wasn't the story-wise swan song I got, but for her performance in it, I thought I thought it was, it was good. So I'm going to give it to her. Good choices. The how, widows get it. How are you going to rate and grade Black Widow? We have Rock Gut, Well, Call, Single Barrel, and Top Shelf. Well plus. Below average. Not awful. There are a few moments. Uh, it's definitely in the lower third, and I might even go 
yeah, lower third of Marvel's films for me. But we've stalled out a little bit there in recent times anyway. Sure. There's a couple things that we stated early on that for me were working against it that never got resolved. Number one, it's a prequel, so you really have to make it matter. It's tough when I know the character is going to die. It's a bit of the Darth Vader Phantom Menace problem. Sure. And secondarily, she has a very limited range of capabilities that I buy on screen because she's not empowered, and I don't feel like they found the best way to showcase them in a movie. Check this out. That's titled Black Widow. Character name, it's a character study, and I found Red Guardian to be the most interesting of the four by a lot. That's fair. Okay. Yeah. I think I'm just well. Uh, Because I I can't, this, I don't think the film itself is, it's not what terribly made, it's well crafted. That opening credit sequence I thought was great. Uh, With the Smells Like Teen Spirit uh, cover there. But... Yeah, I think it's this this was a huge disappointment for me. I wanted this to be so much more than what it was and it my fear in the back of my head was it could become that and it became that. That fantastical over the top spy Moonraker. Don't be Moon be less Moonraker, be more from Russia with love. Be do that. <laughs> yeah. So, they didn't do that and this is a big miss for me, but because I don't really think this film other than the op- the end credit scene is going to have any stake on what's to come. I think it is just kind of a it's going to be a miss just in general. I don't even know how much I'm going to go back and rewatch this thing other than to just be like totally upset the whole time. Mm. So, I think we're still waiting, Matt. I think we're still waiting for that. What's the thing that's going to tell us what is going to, what's happening going forward? Shang-Chi. Maybe. Maybe. It could be. It's so, in present time. Yeah, this was, the, I was pretty disappointed watching this. And there were some good moments. It had me on board only to betray me. And yeah, I'm in a weird state with Marvel right now, which is, that's saying something. So yeah. to that, uh, kind of a lot of fun staying in this. We've only done... You would have thought we had done more Marvel films, but we've only done Endgame, Far From Home, and then these three. So that's it. Six. Six. Well, five. We've only done five films in that. On the 150 plus episodes we've done, we've only done, we've held back and we've only done those five films. But I know there's some films in there that we desperately want to talk about. So it's not like Marvel doesn't have any other movies coming out. There's three more films coming out this year that we can't talk about and build casks around. So. Yeah, so we, in order, what do we have? Shang-Chi, The Eternals, and finishing up with Spidey. Yep. Oh. Jesus. Amen. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> All right, let's wrap this up with the nightcap. I actually ran out of time and I wanted to do like a music question to you. This is Marvel's other big problem that superhero films outside of this umbrella don't have. Because Richard Donner just passed away this last week. I don't know if you, you read about that, but... To him. Yeah, to him. Yeah, a great filmography of films. Yeah. The Omen, we've done The Omen on this. We're going to do that Superman film one of the, and Lethal Weapon. Lethal Weapon, yeah. That Superman theme, you know it. Danny Elfman's Batman theme, you know it. Like, Iron Man, Doctor Strange, and Black... Can you hum me their themes? No, I didn't. No. Yeah, exactly. So they have a, a composer musical... The only thing I can hum is the Avengers theme, is the, the only recognizable musical moniker of any of these characters. 
that's a huge miss for me. You know, you know how much I love the music and I can't like, you know, get on board with like a theme of them. Oh, that's, that's just, we're just, you know. No, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. But isn't that kind of what we're talking about? It's so cookie quarter formulaic. Oh yeah, that's yeah, 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 exactly. Use some nondescript theme and have a battle in the air to finish the sequence. I don't care how you get there, and then I'll take care of the post credit scene so we can make sure it ties to a larger, larger exactly corporate model. You're right. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Uh, okay. Going forward, the nightcap question. There's a slew of films on the docket. Uh, Doctor Strange into the Multiverse of Madness, Spider-Man, uh, Multiverse, whatever that is, Eternals, Shang-Chi, uh, Thor, Love and Thunder, Guardians 3, The Marvels, uh, Blade. Going forward, there's a lot in development. What it, Fantastic Four, what are you most looking forward to going forward? So I'm going to turn you around a little bit on this, and let's play a game. Okay. I'll guess yours, and you guess mine. <laughs> I'll go first. Okay. Yours is going to be Guardians 3, The Search for Gamora. Am I right? You're absolutely right. And now you tell them what mine is. Fantastic Four. You're absolutely right. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you why. I want Fantastic Four, and then you can talk to why you wanted Guardians. I've wanted that film to be made legitimately since I was a little boy. Since the, the, the 80s, since the 70s, since that comic came out. Yes. They can't figure it out. They have the potential to introduce amazingly powerful villains. I would argue Doom and the right capabilities is Thanos level. This universe needs Doom so bad right now. So bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We get with the Silver Surfer. We get the love triangle with Namor, which takes us into the sea. And that's the only area Marvel has not explored yet. You're right, yeah. I don't really want Galactus, but there is some play there. That's what needs to happen. And I really want to see how they will handle because it could be good, it could be bad, the regret that the smartest man in the Marvel Universe, Reed Richards, has to burden himself with because he fucked up his entire family through a miscalculation. Because that's the Fantastic Four story. We shouldn't have flown so close to the sun. Essentially, it's Daedalus and Icarus. Who do you want cast as Mr. Reed Richards? Same guy you do. And I want him to direct it, and that's the rumor, John Krasinski. He's not directing because they already have the director, but... He can still play him. He, he has to. He needs to. Well, who do you want as Sue Storm? Emily Blunt. <laughs> Bango. Who do you want as uh, as Johnny Storm? I'll tell you. Zach Efron. Yeah, probably pretty good, too. And who do you want as Ben Grimm? Tom Hardy. That'd be pretty good. Too. Can't because he's already Venom. But. I'll tell you what. I thought Michael Chiklis was a great casting for the Ben Grimm in those terrible movies, too. Yeah. So they can make it happen. And not that... God, Someday we're going to just do a shot on Josh Trank. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And what happened? Ego. (sighs) But not the sloppy version that he did. Maybe that's the cask. When that Fantastic Four film comes out, Mm -hmm. we'll do Chronicle, his Fantastic Four, and then the new one. I love that That idea. Sounds good, huh? We don't have a release date, though, so it might be twenty. We don't even have a cast for it, so Mm -mm. good choice. I want to see it, too. Let's hear your Guardians. You know I love those first two films. The soundtrack. I love that ride so much. Mm -hmm. Uh, To me, and Dave Bautista's kind of come out, and he's done a lot of years saying he's done with the character after this. So this really seems like a finality for this group. And what that story's going to... Is this Star Trek Three: The Search for Gamora? Like, is that what this is going to be? Is Thor going to be involved? 
James Gunn is just so good with this group of characters. Whoever thought he could make a talking raccoon, a tree, this write such a unique comedic style for Drax, make Quill a, a sympathetic, interesting character, tie Gamora into the bigger scheme of things with the Thanos family lineage. Nebula. He's been so good with those characters. So to see him jump ship and do Suicide Squad and then come back and do this film... That's going to be great. Like I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing how that wraps up. What a nice comparative model that's going to be to the Marvel way and the DC way, right? Yep. I can't wait to see that. Well, I'm excited to see his Suicide Squad too. If he's so grouped with that group of characters and writing ensembles, can it's he, like August, right? Yeah, and that's yeah, we're gonna that's on the horizon for us. But can he do the same with DC's misses and fix that group? I want to say he can do it. He's got Harley Quinn. Yep, that's a big character. And then the other thing I want to answer in Guardians that was teased in the last one was all this teasing of, you think you know power in the Marvel Universe. They teased out Adam Warlock pretty hard in that last film. Yeah. Is he going to show up in this next one? He kind of has to, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now we're reaching for the stars, literally. So yeah. like we're expanding the universe considerably. We'll see what we get. The Eternals would seem to have the ability to give some other lineage to that character. Yeah. Whether it's the technology that the, I forget what the name of that group is that, yeah. what the hell is that? The gold people? Yeah, whatever <laughs> yeah. they are. Harnessed to, I call him Adam. Um, Adam Warlock, yeah. We'll see. We'll save part one and two when three comes out. We'll do that as a cast. That'll be fun. But part two to me is is so good. Not only it's it's got Kurt Russell in it, and you know how I feel about him, but... When they played that Cat Stevens song, Father and Son at the End, oh, that, that, that is so well done. And the comedic moments, we've talked about a lot. Man, just watch out. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> oh, Mary Poppins, y'all. It, it's such a funny movie, but it's so heartfelt at the same time. Like, mm-hmm. the balance is all over. The, there's that moment. I've never, I don't think I've laughed harder in a Marvel film, honestly, is when, do you remember when in that film when they, Yondu and Rocket and Groot and, um, his Sean gun, his brother, they're going through the time warps to like, they're going through the parsec run to get catch up to them. Mm-hmm. And they all start, their faces start warping and their eyes are bulging out. And they're like, Ugh. I never laughed harder. Like I thought that was the funniest thing. It, it, it cracked me up. It, 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 that comedic tone is how that guardians needs to work. Yeah. I agree. Whoever thought years ago in the nineties, in the eighties, whoever thought in like, 20 years, they're going to make a Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Whoever thought that? Mm. like, But they did. And to, to them, to as much as we bagged on Feige and his mm-hmm. methods and his philosophy, he made that happen too. So uh, I got to give I got to give props for that. There is a saving grace for Feige. Yeah. If he can find a way to do Alpha Flight. <laughs> can we talk about Feige for a second? Because sure. the big thing this week Uh-oh. Uh, was... Hold on, let me grab something here. Yeah, you grab something. <laughs> on, <laughs> it's not that kind of show man <laughs> on Hugh Jackman's Instagram this week he actually posted a photo of him with Feige like and it looked like a photo from a few years ago okay like because Feige produced all of those X-Men movies before he established the studio mm-hmm. so it was a photo of the two of them and then it was like a photo of he put, reposted a photo of an artist rendition of what his claws and costume would look like in the MCU and everyone lost their mind. So is he teasing that? Is he coming back to... Because he honestly... Said he wouldn't do it anymore. He's the only one that can play that character at this point. After reminiscence, he may need a career uh, jolt, shall we say. Would you be excited to see him play hey, the character again? 
I will never not be excited to see him play Wolverine. Go fuck yourself. That, uh, that's so good. Yeah. So that was the big thing this week in Nerddom was, is he coming back? Is there a tease coming? Are we going to learn something soon? We don't know. Two, one more thing about that. Okay. I love that. Mm-hmm. As exhausted as the Avengers, as the event, Avengers are right now. Yeah. There's still plenty of room yep. with Spider-Man, the X-Men, and the Fantastic Four. Those three universes that they've delved into, but there's still plenty, plenty, plenty of fertile ground. If they can tap into the X-Men in a way that doesn't feel reheated and reused and exhausted like what happened with um, the last two films. That's the trick, yeah. Then I think we have some life that we can breathe back into. Absolutely. Franchise that needs it right now. Yep. Let's hope. Well, we'll see what's to come on the horizon, but we got a lot of new releases on the on the forefront coming out in August and a lot of fun stuff. But Matt, you and I have done a couple things in the last two years on this show. We've looked back at summer the summer box office because I think we can admit now, I think Black Widow, I think I read the on box office mojo, it's going to do over $100 million, <laughs> which is huge for this post-COVID period. Mm-hmm. We need that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's back. It feels back. So we're going to go revisit some of the box office champs of yesteryear. And this was a film, Matt, that I've wanted to do for a long time. And you've never seen it. We're going to show it to you for the first time, but it made up until Blair Witch Project coming out. It was the highest grossing independent film of all time. Can you believe that? I can't. From 1990, my childhood, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Take me to school. Are you excited? Or I am. I can't wait. This is fun because we did last year, we did E.T. and Batman and Back to the Future. And la- the year before, we did Jaws and Raiders and Karate Kid. So let's look at some huge box office hits from, from yesteryear. So we're going to start with the Turtles. Uh, we'll talk about the comic, how this came. And, hey, man, we get to talk about family again. <laughs> What's fun is I get to look at this as a person who's not a Ninja Turtles fan, so I don't have to approach it from fandom and you walk across this sacred sure, line you sure. shouldn't have. Yeah. So it'll be an interesting conversation. And yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing it for the first time. Excellent. This is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, things are turning up on the Patreon right now. We just did our watch along of the Sandlot, which was, and you want to know a lot about our childhood. Just go download it. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Um, but we're, we're finishing up Loki. We're going to actually record that here in just a second. Uh, mm-hmm. Episode number five. But hit us up on Facebook or Instagram. Productions at gmail.com is a great contact for us. The T Public has a lot of great uh, merch right now. Go check that out. And uh, yeah, we'll be back in a week with the Ninja Turtles. So until that, Matt, cheers. I got to get going. I'm going to go turn on American Pie over there. I'm going to go see Don McLean and I'm going to sing it verbatim because I love that song. I'm going to go turn on American Pie just because I want to remember when Shannon Elizabeth had a career. I love that movie so much. Me too. Excellent. We'll see you all next week, everybody. Take care, everybody. Have a good week. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. For more Rye Smile content, go to patreon.com slash Films for exclusive bonus episodes, plus feature-length watch-along commentaries on your favorite movies and TV show recap episodes covering the best from the small screen. For Rye Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. Black Widow is property of Marvel Studios, and Walt Disney Studios motion pictures, and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. I got your next target. Thought I'd hand deliver it. 
Maybe you'd like a shot at the man responsible for your sister's death. Kind of a cutie, don't you think? 